You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. It's great to be together. Uh, if we've not met before, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're to the place in the service now where we uh, are teaching through the Scripture and we're working our way through uh, the book of Ephesians, which is really written with a sort of a, a two-fold outline, an A and a B. The first three chapters are what God has done. They're all doctrinal. They're all about God's uh, work of redemption, calling us, selecting us before time, rather, calling us in our lives, uh, saving us by grace so that we would walk out the good works that he had planned for us beforehand, joining us together as his people, all kinds of people united in Christ. So we see these great lofty truths in the first three chapters, and then the next three chapters, chapters four through six, we see how we are to live out our life uh, in very practical ways. And today is a super practical passage. Some of you for weeks were wondering when we'd get to something practical, and today we do. Actually, we have the past couple of weeks uh, as we look at what I'm calling gospel ethics, which are uh, is Christian behavior, Christian character, Christian action that are based upon the work of Christ and empowered by the work of Christ through his spirit within us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I want to read you a story, Dateline, September 30th from BBC News. The headline, Turkey, in the nation of Turkey, missing man joins search party looking for himself. <laughs> a missing man in Turkey accidentally joined his own search party for hours before realizing he was the person they were looking for, local media reports. Behan Mutlu, apology to my pronunciation there, had been drinking with friends on Tuesday when he wandered into a forest in the Bursa province. When he failed to return, his wife and friends alerted local authorities and a search party was sent out. Mr. Mutlu, 50, then stumbled upon the search party and decided to join them. But when members of the search party began calling out his name, he replied, I am here. He was taken aside by one of the rescue workers to give a statement. His statement, don't punish me too harshly, officer. My father will kill me, he reportedly told them. Police then drove Mr. Mutlu home. It is not clear if he was given a fine. Two things occur to me from this story. One, is this really international news? <laughs> I got it off the BBC. Is this really international news? But secondly, how often uh, we live in a similar way. We are searching for what is already right here with us. Or more specifically, we are searching for the one who is present right here with us. Th this is the Christian life, after all. It is not about working to change ourselves, but it is realizing the one who is with us. 
what he has done for us, the Lord Jesus Christ, and realizing that he has been present all along and that he is present with his power to enable us to live out our new identity in Christ. The context of today's passage is this. It is receiving and living, acknowledging a new identity in Christ. Caleb taught this last week from verses 17 through 24 in chapter 4. He taught us from this passage that we're no longer to live as the Gentiles do, meaning no longer live as unbelievers. It's a passage about living out who you already are, living out who God has made you to be in Christ, realizing the work of Christ and his presence with you. The passage concluded by saying, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So it wasn't go team, try harder, do better, be more holy. It was rather God is created by his grace, a new person. He's united you to Christ and now live that out. And the passage we're about to read tells us, well, what that looks like on the ground. So we move from the first three chapters, many of it was 30,000 feet. Last week was live out your new identity, maybe 10,000 feet. But today we are ground level in the weeds of daily life. So let's listen to God's word from Ephesians 4 verses 25 uh, and then we'll read into the beginning of chapter 5. This is the word of God for the people of God. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Well, as I said, the previous passage made the distinction between our old life and our new life. You used to live like the Gentiles, You don't give up your Gentile ethnicity when you become a Christian, but you give up the Gentile worldview, the Gentile approach, that the Gentile being far from God and living like it. And in this passage, he tells us how we are to live. Verse 25, therefore, therefore, based upon your new life and your new identity, live this way. And what we find in the passage that we just read is that living this new way has to do with living out a new way in our relationships with others. 
we find out that real-world discipleship is expressed in how we relate to others, and in this passage, particularly how we relate to brothers and sisters in Christ. You could take all of the ethics of this, pack, uh, of this passage and apply it to all of life, but here he's being pretty clear that he has in mind your behavior and responsibilities to your fellow brothers and sisters. You are to, in other words, reject the old behaviors that destroy community, and you are to embrace new behaviors that build up the community. These are gospel ethics. You have a new Lord, a new king. You live in a new kingdom. You have a new being. The Spirit of God now dwells in you. You are a new person, and that affects how you relate to others because now you treat others as Christ has treated you. That was the end of the passage. Well, the passage is just full of commands, and it's broken up this way. He gives a, a prohibition, a put-off, this is what you're not supposed to do, this is the old life, a, a uh, requirement, this is what you are supposed to do, this is the new life, and then a reason which is so gracious, it would be enough just to tell us what to do. But in every one of them, he gives us a reason that we should do this, unlike the, uh, you know, the parent uh, who simply answers, because I said so, that's why. Well, with God, that's adequate, but he is gracious and gives us a vision for why we are to practice these new practices as part of our new life. So let's look at each of them. First of all, truth. He addresses truth. Verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Put, he put away falsehood. In other words, put off falsehood. That was your old way of life. But the new you is governed by Christ, and Christ himself is the truth. Jesus himself is truth, and you have put on Christ. The gospel frees us to speak truth. If you think about it, the gospel frees us, first of all, to be truthful about ourselves. You see, the one who knows all of our sins, all of our faults, all of our weaknesses, is the one who loves us most. The one who forgives us and accepts us, the Father accepts us in Christ. This is how God has treated us. We no longer, no longer have to deceive others out of our own self-interest to enhance our reputation or to protect ourselves. We are now in Christ free to be real. That's what the church is to be about. Not like the old life where it's all about reputation management and putting on, leaving people with an impression that you want them to have of you. We are called to speak the truth about ourselves. And in the church, we are also called to speak the truth to others about themselves, out of love for them. Speaking the truth, it, it requires us to say difficult things at times about ourselves, difficult things to others, but we, we must be committed to that because we must love them more than we love ourselves. Well, what is the reason for this? He gives us the reason. Put away falsehood, speak the truth, for, verse 25 again, for we are members one of another. This is how we know he's talking about the church here. We are members one of another. 
as new people, our concern is to be for God's community, his church, and for the maturity of his church, and for the building up of the people of God. That's what we've been reading all through chapter 4, that our vision now is not just about me and mine, but it's about our growth together. And that will not happen without honesty. This is what John Stott says. I found this so helpful. He says about this passage, For fellowship is built on trust, and trust is built on truth. So falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. Falsehood, deception, undermines our fellowship together, but truth strengthens our fellowship together. Well, this is easy to read this verse, but this is not easy to practice at all. We need the Lord Jesus, don't you? Don't we? Because so often I don't want to tell you about the truth about me. And sometimes more, I don't want to tell you the truth about you because both of those instances are risky, are they not? Uh, We as a pastoral team are talking about this very subject. We're going through a book together, studying a book uh, called Lead by Paul Tripp, and in this last week's practice talking it through, there was a big section on honesty, and we talked about how we need to grow. Um, So I'm communicating something here from this passage that your pastors are seeking to address in our lives, to, to be more transparent about ourselves and to also protect one another by speaking the truth to one another. But that is hard to do. As we are going through this study, at, at one point I communicated to the guys that I, I really find it difficult to communicate certain things about myself. Um, certain things, even bad things, would be easier for me than other things. And one thing that I earlier this year confessed to the guys that I just was hard for me to tell them was that I was really struggling, somewhat like the video with Andrew, I was struggling with motivation, and, and uh, yes, pastors struggle with this as well, love God and I love you, but I was struggling with motivation and felt like I was losing a, a sense of vision. The whole COVID, year of COVID thing, I didn't have COVID, but the whole stress of it all was just causing me to feel like, man, I am really trying to work hard to get one foot in front of the other and uh, felt like I was losing my way as a leader in some ways. And uh, so I shared that with a couple of guys at one point. Uh, But I didn't want to tell them that because I want to carry my weight and I want to be dependable and I want you to be the person that you can always lean on and I want to be thought of as not just competent but omni-competent. But you see, we'll never have community, and we'll never grow together, and I'll never change, and you'll never change if we can't be real about things, especially the stuff we don't want you to know about us. We have a new life and a new power and a new position before God. Nothing can be hindered by others in the body knowing the truth about us because we are members of one another. This is a community project. It's not, people aren't a project, but this is a community endeavor to cultivate a culture of truth, to be an honest family. Paul says, verse 17, uh, you know, do not live as the Gentiles live. Put on the new self and then immediately speak truth to one another. Secondly, he addresses anger. 
We need to read the whole verse. Verse 26, be angry. Some of you are saying, hey, I'm obeying. Well, no, let's read the rest of it. And do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Verse 26, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Uh, Jesus famously demonstrates this in the temple when he overturns the tables and runs out the money changers. Um, righteous anger is a pure anger. It's, a, it's an indignation towards evil. It's an indignation towards injustice. Um, it's, it's a righteous anger that is concerned primarily with the glory of God and is, is upset um, because of God's glory or because of injustice in some way to another person. But that is not usually, let's be honest, that is not usually the kind of anger we experience Righteous anger is completely devoid of selfishness. Jesus not, is not overturning tables because he's just sort of ticked at everybody. He, he's frustrated. He's had it up to here. Jesus is on his last nerve. No, that's not what's going on. That's all selfishness. That's all about me. That's irritation because you are doing something I don't like. like. Righteous anger has no selfishness, no malice. There is no injured pride So he's saying, don't be sinfully angry. Be angry, so there's a place for righteous anger, but do not sin is what he is saying. Sinful anger is a response to when things are not going the way I want them to go. And so when I don't get my way, then I respond in anger, which could be blowing up, it could be clamming up, it could be giving you a piece of my mind or withdrawing, right? Either one of those But however it's expressed, there are few things that are more destructive and divisive as anger. Now, again, this is the category we're talking about the whole, I'm sorry if you haven't been here, but uh, to get the whole context, but the whole context is we're one people. The whole context is we are, uh, well, the immediate context is we are members one of another. So immediately, he says, we're joined together as Christ's body, he says in this book, as a family, as a community. We're together, so don't be sinfully angry. Be angry, but don't sin in your anger, is what he is saying. As new people, that is, as kingdom people, we are to respond differently when we are angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It means that when you're angry at a person, deal with it quickly. Be restored quickly. Be reconciled quickly. Why are we not to be sinfully angry? Well, he gives us a reason. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. So why are we not to be sinfully angry? And when we are angry, why are we to deal with it quickly, not letting the sun, the metaphor, not letting the sun go down on our anger? Why are we supposed to do that? So that the devil doesn't get a foothold or doesn't have an opportunity. It literally means place. It literally means give no place to the devil. Do you see what he's saying? He's not blaming anger on the devil. The devil made me do it. Uh, implicitly, we can read for this, say, the anger comes from me. But when the anger comes from me, what it does is it provides a place, an opportunity, a place where the devil can get a foothold in the people of God or in the family or in the marriage, whatever it may be. Here, I believe the people of God are primarily in view, but the other applications are true as well. 
When we remain angry with others, when we're bitter, unforgiving, you know, the kind of irritated, uh, impatient kind of approach uh, to others, whether it's harsh speech or avoidance, however it shows up, when we do that, we are making a place for the devil to exercise his influence and do his work. Angry people, we, we rarely think of this, maybe never, but angry people give Satan an opportunity to bring destruction to community. How many families have been dissolved because of uh, uncontrolled, unrepented of anger that leads to unreconciled relationships? Anger in the church, it's, it's a, an angry person or an angry group, it's kind of like a Trojan horse that comes in. You know the story. The Trojan horse is brought into the city, but in the Trojan horse is, uh, is danger, is, is warriors that, are, that uh, are set free to wreak havoc in the city. That's what the welcoming or the acceptance of anger does that brings this kind of destruction. You may have seen that in the church where people are angry and expressing the anger or anger and what, uh, rather than dealing with it. So how do we deal? Well, we deal with it before the sun goes down. We immediately pursue reconciliation, forgiveness, um, communication, speaking the truth. That's what we just read, speaking the truth to one another. So new people in the new society, in the new community, with the Holy Spirit in us, we are to live in a way that none of us will avoid sinful anger completely in our lives. We will not. We will be angry, but we don't let the sun. We deal quickly. We keep short accounts. That's how the church is different than the world or supposed to be. Next, so we start with truth, anger. Next is work. Work, he addresses work. Verse 28, let the thief steal no let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So don't live like the Gentiles. Put off the old life. You put it off when you came to Christ. That means don't steal. Don't steal from your employer. Don't steal from your friend, don't take what does not belong to you. Rather, well, I guess in this case, I wouldn't say your employer because he's saying, you know, use your hands not for stealing but for honest work. Don't steal from others. Now, when he says, um, when he says here, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, uh, certainly that would apply to manual labor, but not only manual labor. Uh, the idea is that you're to work and not steal. He's showing how radical conversion is, that many of these unbelievers, most of this church was unbelievers, came from a totally different worldview, a totally different experience um, living in the Greco-Roman world. And what he's saying is that your new life in Christ involves a, a reorientation so that you're no longer to be a taker, but you're to be a giver. That the orientation of your life is no longer, what can I get from others, even if it costs them, but rather, what can I give to others? It is a complete 180 
for the person who has been stealing. And, and what is the reason? Well, he gives us the reason. Do honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, it's community-oriented. That he may have something to share with someone in need. God created work, and God created work is good. The Bible tells us that God created work before the fall. So work is not the fruit of the fall. Um, Work is now difficult because of the fall is what we find. The curse is that work always has thorns and thistles. It's difficult, but it's still good because it was created before the fall. In Christ, we are recreated so we're cre- everybody's created to work. But in Christ, we are recreated uh, to transform our vision of our work so that we now see it as a means of helping others flourish. The thief is not about the flourishing of others. We're not to be thinking Robin Hood here. Uh, it's not to think about the flourishing of others. The thief thinks about personal flourishing and what can I take for me. But he's saying, now is someone that has put off the old and put on the new, a new identity in Christ. Now you are to work so that you can have something to share with others. This is not the only reason for work, uh, but it is one reason for work. One reason is that work brings income, and income produces resources so that you are positioned to be a blessing to other people. Sometimes the church makes it sound like the only value in your work is so that you can get a paycheck and make a donation to the church. And we try to teach as faithfully as we can a vision for work that is much broader than that. And today's video demonstrates that. Andrew never mentioned in there that I'm just working to make money to give to the church. That was, that, that was not mentioned. That was not the message of the video. That work is a calling. We, we are created in God, and then we are recreated with a new vision uh, in Christ for our purposes, uh, ultimately to worship him through all of our work. I, I do want to say this. We don't want to over-communicate that point, however, that your work as worship is so emphasized that we don't talk about your giving as worship as well. It's not just, well, how do you worship the Lord? Well, I just do that. I just have a great vision for my work. I saw this video, and now I'm doing that same thing. And I, that, that is my full vision for work. You can't have a biblical doctrine of work without a commitment to give of the fruit of your labors. And that's what he's saying here. Let the thief steal no longer. Let him labor, doing honest work, which is good in and of itself, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Not the sole purpose of work, not a primary purpose of work, but an absolute purpose of work. Do you see your work in that light? Do you see your work as bringing resources into your life which platform you to be a contributor and not a consumer. Most of us see the resources from our work as simply means to consume. So the the fruit of my labors is for me to consume. 
on me. And at Christmas, I give a few other people a little something too, but it's primarily about me. He says here, you're to work, yeah, to care for others and to meet your needs, all of that, but you're also to do it so that you have something to contribute to others, so that you're ready to be a blessing. That's why you work. A thief is not trying to be a blessing, but we all are. I'm going to challenge us. Do we think about that aspect of our work, that I'm working today joyfully because it positions me to contribute to the good of the community? I'm I'm free to work in Christ and use resources to be a blessing to others, trusting that as I am a cheerful giver, God continues to replenish my resources This is the new you. This is the new work. This is the new vision, he says. It's about the community and not just about you. So you speak the truth. And so when there's anger and and discord, you don't let it last. You deal with it quickly. And by the way, you don't take from people. You work hard so that you can give to people. This is the new. For weeks, many of us said, when are we going to get to some commands? Oh, here we are. They came. Somebody's saying, well, let's go back to that first chapter. I, I didn't, I'm not sure I believed when you were teaching chapter one about election, but I like it better than this. <laughs> oh, free to work. So that we, it's, it's, it's the new life. It's a life of joy and freedom. There's no greater life than seeing our life as, as, a, as a gift to be spent for the good of others and the glory of God. Free from yourself. I can tell you the truth because I'm free from myself. That's what the gospel's supposed to do in me. I don't have to be angry. I can trust the Lord. And if I am angry, we can get this right in Jesus and extend forgiveness. I'm free to go to work and work hard. Make as much money as God allows me to make so that I can be a blessing to others. What a free life he's describing here. Next, he talks about speech. Oh, it even gets down to what we say, doesn't it, this gospel? Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. No corrupting speech. This word corrupting is very interesting. It's used in other places in the Bible to describe rotten fruit. The same word means rotting fruit or putrid fish. Rotting fruit, rotting fish. It carries the idea of decay. So corruption in this case means something that is corrosive or decaying. Speech, certain types of speech can spread decay in a body. And by the way, this would be spoken words and digital speech in our world as well. What do I text? What do I post? Social media. Uh, how do I enter the comments section on a blog? There's a, been a few decaying things in the history of blogs that have been printed in this comments section. Our speech can have a decaying effect. Think about this in the church body. Now, this applies in a family. This applies anywhere. But think particularly your members of one another. Abusive speech, degrading words, taunting or mocking another person where we try to belittle them. 
make ourselves look better. The, even the kind of sarcasm, sarcasm is, can be fun and has a place, but the kind of sarcasm that seeks to barb, just to barb, it belittles someone else. It's at another's expense so that I get attention or I get a laugh. Critical words with no hope, just, just rank criticism, judgmental words obscene words. Think about the kind of words and the the effect that they can have. When it comes to decaying in a community, gossip surely heads the list, doesn't it? Gossip or even slandering, speaking against someone's reputation. Augustine, who was a great church father, lived in the fourth and fifth century. Reportedly, he had a sign in his dining room up on the wall. The sign said this, He who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. Some of us need that sign. Can you imagine? I mean, just every time you sat down to eat or you're a guest at Augustine's table, over his head is this sign, don't you dare speak ill about someone that you're not talking to personally or isn't in the room. That would be inappropriate. Some of us would say, well, what what would we talk about if we don't talk about people? (laughs) What are you supposed to do, just eat and stare? We're going to go home today and critique people at Grace Church. Now what are we going to talk about? Well, the game's on at noon. You can watch the game, okay? How about that? That's why you're at the early service. You knew that. (laughs) Here's a common way that gossip destroys, decays a community. Don't use corrupting talk. I'm just giving one example. There's thousands. Someone is offended with someone else. And so they spread their offense by going to someone who has nothing to do with the situation. Not a leader, um, a counselor, someone who could give help in a situation, but just a friend or just anybody. Uh, And we go and we tell someone, sharing our side of the story, and we're looking for sympathy. The best response we could get is, oh, they did that. I'm so sorry. Oh, my goodness. Just, or the best is taking up an offense. I can't believe that. So that you tell me, and now I'm as livid as you are about the situation. And that makes you somehow feel better. But when we're offended, Jesus outlines a totally different approach. Here's the new you. Here's the kingdom. Here's the new society, the new community. Here's how it works. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. And in case we don't understand that, he says, just between the two of you. How much decay has been done in the church and other organizations as well? But here, the church, because we haven't followed what Jesus prescribes. Because we're not waiting for, you know, we're not trying to deal with anger before the sun goes down on it. We're looking for sympathy. We're looking for someone to take up our offense. Now, again, you may need to get help and talk to someone about how to navigate something, but, but you need to talk to someone that will tell you you're wrong, not someone who will just commiserate hearing your side of the story only, which is never the whole story. So what's the command? We are instead to speak words only such that build up as is fitting to the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What he's saying is you can use your words to tear down, but that's the old life. The new life is you can use your words to actually build people up, to build the community, to strengthen the community. You can speak words of gratitude. 
You can speak words of respect and honor. You can speak words of encouragement to another person. Let me encourage you about how I see God at work in your life. Let me thank you. Let, let, me, let, me, uh, let, let me support you with my words. How about words of prayer? Let me pray for you. Let me use words of, to speak to God for you and with you. Words of patience. Words of compassion, compassion, words of forgiveness, words of love. These kinds of words build and mature the church so that when people come in the midst of it, they say, this is a different kind of place. People act differently. I don't know what it is. And after you're around a while, you go, wow, a foul word in here stands out. It's like Augustine's table. It's like, oh, wow. That there's a culture of, of encouragement where I'd almost feel awkward. I'd almost feel embarrassed to start in the middle of this conversation unloading about someone not in the room. It would stand out so bad because we're in a culture of grace. Words that point to Christ and his fulfillment. These, these are words that strengthen. Let, let me ask you, who here today could you encourage? Who in the church could you give a word that would encourage how could you express gratitude to someone who today needs to hear a word of thanks? Everybody in Grace Kids serving today who's not in here needs to hear a word of thanks when you pick your kid up, for instance, your child. Who would be built up by a word of thanks? Who could you express your love to? Why don't we immediately do that after the service today? Why don't we make an application point that's not to just discuss in your community group or get to it when you get around to it. Why don't we all, when we dismiss in just a moment, go find someone and give words of grace, encouragement, thanks, gratitude. This is how we're to live. It's just like working and giving, and now it's speaking. I love this word by Klein Snodgrass, uh, who is a commentator. He says this, Christians are builders, not destroyers. They're to be productive, addressing needs other people have. Their speech is beneficial speech. Their acts are beneficial acts. The goal is investment in people to build up community. We're not, mere, we're not permitted merely to take care of ourselves. Do you see, he's drawing a link between this working and speaking. He's saying you work to build up others. You speak to build up others. The new you in Christ is a person that gives grace just as you've received it, that builds the community because of what Christ has done for you. It's easy to tear down. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to be a taker and not a giver. It's easy to be a consumer and not a contributor. But that person died in a watery grave, and you've been raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Gospel ethics. When we speak decaying words rather than words of grace, what's the problem? Well, he gives us right here, and it's a shock. You'll hurt people's feelings. You'll divide the church. Those are worthy, but that's not what he says. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying, yes, toxic speech can harm people, but the real problem is it grieves God. 
it grieves God. The Spirit of God that sealed us for the day of redemption, the Spirit of God that unifies us, make every effort to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And when we speak decaying words, we destroy the unity of the Spirit, and God's heart is grieved. Now, by implication, the opposite is true. When we speak words of grace that build up, God's heart is delighted. Scotty Smith says this. This stuck, stuck out to, stood out to me. When grace is in our hearts, grace is on our lips. You say, this is really hard stuff. Go back to chapters 1 and 3. That's why they're there. we got to get the grace of God in our hearts, affecting our vision, affecting our motive, so that this is how we live. But it starts with what he has done for us. Last thing, and this is really quick. Forgiveness. What does he say, verse 31 through 32? Well, uh, he forbids here malice. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. They're all kind of under the category of malice, which is uh, wanting harm to someone else. Bitterness is about wanting harm, nursing a wound. He's saying, don't do that. All these reactions, bitterness, anger, clamor, which probably means something like shouting, uh, you know, angry outbursts, we could say slandering, speaking against, destroying someone's reputation when I should be talking to them, I'm out talking to someone else about them. All these destroy community and unity. So what do we put on instead of all that junk? Well, we put on forgiveness, kindness, tenderheartedness. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We don't respond with harsh words or angry words. We don't, we don't nurse a, a, a bitterness towards someone which clouds ultimately our vision. We don't see straight when that's the case. Rather, we extend forgiveness. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. Is this just a call to be nice? No, it's not a call to be nice. It is, he's rather saying, being a Christian is not being a nice person. Christian ethics isn't just being nice. Rather, he's saying, our ethics are based on how God has treated us. No one has treated me worse than I have treated the perfectly holy Son of God. For it was my sins that were put on him on the cross. It was my sins that he endured and yet out of love he laid down his life for me. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, be an imitator of God as beloved children. God loves us. Walk in love, verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Where does this, all unit, this unit all ends with this idea that he was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God? This is Old Testament sacrificial language. Our sins are on Jesus. He pays for them on the cross. He accepts and endures the judgment due us, and it is a pleasing sacrifice to God. We have to get this. This is the power to live the new life. The passage does not conclude with stop lying, stop being angry, stop stealing, stop speaking in ways that destroy the community. It doesn't even end with stop grieving the spirit, stop being a bitter old person. It ends with Jesus carried all those sins. 
It ends with Jesus took your angry words and your slander uh, and your taking from others. Jesus took your ill will towards others. All of that we have read in this passage, your critical speech and your judgmentalism, your anger and your unforgiveness, Jesus took all of those upon the cross and died in our place, accepting judgment for us. So our sins have been done away with, forgiven by the grace of God. Therefore, relate to others on that basis. This passage about changing your speech and your attitudes and your work and all that, this is not behavior modification. We could say it is savior modification. The Savior has changed us forever. Now live in his power. Live anew in a new identity as community builders, not community destroyers. Those seeking to build up empowered by the gospel. It changes everything, the gospel. It changes our truthfulness. It changes how we deal with anger. It changes how we use our tongue. It changes how we forgive others who've done us wrong. It changes everything. And it's all because of the gospel. If the band would join me, we're going to close with that in mind with communion today. Because I don't want you to leave here primarily. I want you to receive the Holy Spirit's conviction wherever that is, but I don't want you to leave today primarily just looking at yourself. We need to look at Christ and what he's done for us and receive fresh power to live out the new life that he has called us to because he has done this for us on the cross. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.